Welcome back, everybody. It's CFP Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm Scott Bogman. You can follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. I'm joined, as always, by the owner and proprietor of CFP Winning Edge, Nicholas Ian Allen. Follow him on Twitter at CFP Winning Edge and Xavier Trish at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E, on the Twitter machine. And uh, we're going to talk about the week two matchups and stuff, but let's get a review on week one, Nick. I mean, all kinds of craziness happened. What stood out to you the most from week one? Well, week one, I mean, stretches, it seems like for two or three weeks. I mean, it has been uh, really week one and uh, a half. Right? right. Yeah. It's it's been a little bit of a grind. It's been great to to have college football back, obviously. And it's it's awesome to be able to, you know, have something to look forward to every day from Thursday to Monday. But I realized pretty quick I am not in uh, or, or, you know, was not quite in uh, midseason form, was not in shape, ready to go. Uh, long days, long hours for all the all the games. So <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to catch up a little bit. One on just, you know, some actual work, trying to make sure we get things updated correctly and, and uh, get things out on time to our uh, Patreon supporters. But um also i mean physically man i'm i'm a, i'm tired so <laughs> how about how about you guys uh I, i'm feeling i'm feeling okay uh but i mean i haven't had a real football weekend yet where it's college all day saturday and then uh the nfl all day sunday so i feel like because i was able to sleep in a little bit on sunday and enjoy my last normal sunday until february that uh i'm doing all right right now but uh xavier your thoughts on, on uh, week one overall? Special teams matters. Yeah, <laughs> like, I don't want to, like, if I bring up a kicker on this podcast ever again, I don't want the looks because we learned this weekend special teams matters. It, it was, it was one of those weekends where I felt like we had so many just, I, I came away with, from this weekend learning absolutely nothing. Like, I, that's the other takeaway. I came away with this weekend being like, I don't think I learned anything about much about anybody. I felt like this weekend was haphazard in a, in a ton of ways, not just from a special teams perspective, uh, but a lot of the games that I was looking forward to ended up being either complete duds or blowouts. Um, and the games I wasn't looking forward to, you know, with Florida State LSU ended up being probably a classic. So, um, you know, I, I think that, you know, this weekend was everything I could have for. Hmm? So that's one word for it, I guess. Classic. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It was, yeah, it was a classic for all of a, of a quarter. Uh, but yeah, I, I think I learned absolutely nothing and absolutely loved every bit of it. I um, mean, I'm with Scott. I got to sleep in on Sunday. I didn't have to wake up and get ready for another, you know, forty some odd games so, or whatever, thirty, you know, sixteen some odd games. So I think I'm good. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, r- right now. It's okay. Well, I know I'm going to feel it this weekend, especially since. Uh, one of the, you know, the Texas game this week uh, seems like it may not be uh, so much fun. We'll see. Uh, but um, Nick, obviously, uh, I guess what 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 play stood out to you the most? Was there a player that caught your eye? Was there a game that you were like, wow, this is an all time classic? Obviously, the Florida State LSU game was uh, insanity. Um, but what what else stood out to you? Well, there there were. As always, uh, some great games. Yeah, that that LSU Florida State game ended up being um, just you know really intense <laughs> toward the end with with so much going on and the you know clock issue. Um, to Xavier's point about special teams, I mean you know uh, the the blocked 
extra point and there was a blocked field goal as well but let's not forget that lsu muffed two punts that ended up uh giving florida state just great field position um florida state also almost you know should have really uh been able to to melt the clock there at the end and and fumbled on the one yard line gave lsu a chance to drive 99 yards there at the the very end but um there were a couple of overtime games that ended up being uh just a ton of fun to watch wyoming getting the win uh, against tulsa the uh, houston utsa game was a great one um as far as you know biggest takeaways on on players and teams the thing that probably stood out the most uh and we talked about it last week i, I was not completely bought in that we would see um, the same level of play from Georgia that we saw last year. And what they did to Oregon was just as good, if not better than anything that we saw last season. Uh, Just incredibly, incredibly impressive performance. Um, I was, uh, you know, I I liked what I saw out of USC was kind of curious um, you know, would they come out and make a statement? And obviously it's, it's difficult to take too much away or we want to caution ourselves and each other to not take too much away um, from a game against, you know, a team like Rice that was just completely overmatched talent wise. Um, but USC did, I think, what um, they were expected to do, which which was nice to see. We we haven't been able to say that about USC a ton over the last you know however many years. Um, we were we talked very briefly, didn't didn't talk in a whole lot of detail last week about NC State and sort of the test that they might have on the road uh, in state, but you know tough uh, opponent. Um, even though it was a you know Group of Five matchup, East Carolina gave NC State everything it wanted and more. So um, that was an interesting one. Again, don't want to try to draw too many major conclusions from just one game, um, positive or negative, but for a lot of us who, you know, spent time in the off season talking about how, uh, good NC state is and could be, um, that has to give some folks maybe a little bit of pause that, that, uh, we kind of need to, to wait and see uh, how that team is going to ramp up over the first you know few weeks, they were somewhat fortunate to to get out of there uh, with a one point victory. Um, thought that you know Florida looked good with the upset at home against Utah. Um, that was a, a rare bright spot for us in our projection numbers in, in week one. Uh, we did actually uh, go two and zero in games against the spread where we had the wrong team favored and Florida. Uh, pulled out the outright win. UTSA ended up with the, the two point loss on what was uh, you know coin flip after so many overtimes. But um, that was that was good to see. And and Anthony Richardson uh, was very impressive. Made a, a couple impressive. of highlight uh, plays that you know we're going to continue to see the you know pump fake twirl around, throw a touchdown. Um, probably not the last that we'll see of, of that play, and and probably some other ones like it. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I think that, uh, I like, I smiled when Xavier said, you know, he, he didn't know what to take away. And, and I think that that's, I think that that's good. And I think I agree, uh, because there, there certainly are some, 
signs that, oh, this team is like, like I said with Georgia, like, oh, hey, there's no drop off, right? But it is still just one game. Um, on the other you know, side of the coin, you think of, of the teams that are, uh, that have looked the worst, you know, in, in the country, worst teams in the country so far. I think Charlotte's very high on that list. I mean, they oh. got beat by, you know, not, not, uh, didn't look great against uh, William and Mary. They certainly weren't the only uh, FBS team to lose to an FCS team. I know Navy lost to Delaware. There might've been one or two others that, that are escaping me at the moment. Washington state was, you know, taken uh, too close for comfort. Uh, by what Idaho. is with that state that, you know, <laughs> Washington lost to Montana. Was it Montana, or Montana state? I can't Montana remember last year, Montana yeah. last yeah. year. And didn't the year before Washington state lose to Eastern Washington? They've done uh, it before. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if it was la the two years ago, but it, they've done that before. So, I mean, get it together. State yeah. of Washington as a whole week <laughs> one. What are we doing? So, but, uh, but still, I mean, it, it is, there are, I think some takeaways and I think there are, um, you know, some conclusions that I'm tempted to want to draw, like, you know, the North Carolina defense is bad. Yeah. Uh, for example, Louisville sucks. Um, well, see that. Yeah. I mean, they, they certainly they didn't lost look to Syracuse, good. Nick. Come they on. lost to Syracuse and it was, it was ugly. And yeah, Malik Cunningham didn't play well, but, uh, but see, that's one where I'm kind of like, well, Let's let's wait and see. I'm sure know? they'll get better, but they lost to Syracuse. They did, really? but hey, how good is Syracuse? We don't know. They could be better. Uh, so it's it's. I try not to to draw too many conclusions from week one. I'm very much tempted to. I want to, you know, learn about teams and feel like I have a, a little better grip on uh, certain teams, especially as they you know, compare better for better or for worse against our projections. Um, but with it being just one game, um, it, it's, I think, important to take a step back and not completely write somebody off, but also not, um, you know, completely say, oh, so-and-so's back or, or whatever it is. Yeah. I mean, Have a little patience. Yeah, I, I – I wouldn't go around saying anyone's back after one game. Uh, you know, that has proven to be very incorrect in the past. So um, interesting week one. Anything else stick out to you, Xavier, before we move on to week two? I don't want to bury week one too fast. But, um, I mean, outside of, you know, look, I, the, the whole reason I think that Louisville sucks is because it's Sean Tucker was the entirety of the Syracuse offense. They knew it was coming <laughs> on the ground and in the past, and they couldn't stop him either way. So, um, I just think their defense is going to be an issue all year, and I don't care how good Mac Brown dances. North Carolina, North Carolina ain't got a defense, zero defense. That is uh, when you give up forty points in, a in quarter. one quarter uh, to a G five team. I don't care who the G five team is; could have been Cincy last year. That's absurd. You should not be doing that. So um, I don't know. I think there are some uh, conclusions you can draw, but like Nick said, for the most part. It's week one. And just think about this, too. Like, even the games that were close, you know, those teams had the entire offseason to prepare for their week one matchup. And now they're not going to have now you got the same seven days that everybody else has. So, uh, you know, uh, you can you can, you know, Idaho can play a tough game against Washington State. But now maybe Washington State's a little bit better. You know, Syracuse did plan for Louisville the entire offseason. So that needs to be taken into account, too, as another reason why you can't fully evaluate these teams after one week, correct? Absolutely. No, and 
I think another piece to that is you can't draw any massive conclusions about the conferences just yet. Yes, I know that Georgia and Florida obviously looked really good. Uh, Kentucky kind of struggled with Miami of Ohio. You know, I saw a lot of people already was like, yeah, the SEC East is a two-horse race already, like done deal um, after the weekend. And I just think that that's, you know, reaching a ton. Obviously, we'll learn more this week because Kentucky plays Florida. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, as Scott put in the, the group chat, yeah. Uh, <laughs> the, first, the, first, the first thing was the ACC is garbage, uh, you know, and, and that, you know. First and, thought. <laughs> I mean, hey, listen, I, the ACC didn't do itself any favors. Let's put it that way. Yeah, yeah. That, that's fair. Um, but, you know, I had people already telling me after Ohio State went over Notre Dame that this is this is Ohio State's conference to lose. And I was like, they were 17-point favorite and they won by 12. So let's not, let's not go to any lengths just because you're, you're seeing something that you like. Uh, so. Let's. Uh, I want to ask about one more game before we take a look at some of these uh, week one injuries and how they impact week two. But Iowa, Nick. Uh, I mean, uh, a baseball field goal safety safety uh, in this win. I mean, what is going on at Iowa? <laughs> uh, I mean, that was that was pretty perfect. That was about <laughs> as, as uh, good as you could draw it up. I think. For an Iowa game, and and you know we talked. I, I I don't remember exactly when it was. It was somewhat somewhat randomly in the early uh, preseason, late off season when we were discussing you know some potential FCS upsets, and I, we talked about Iowa a little bit. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, they've got some injuries. Uh, they the receiver core you know is missing a couple of its best players. Their top running back was out as well. Um, but you know, Spencer Petrus is still there. Uh, the offensive brain trust is, is still the same and there's not a whole lot of, uh, positive signs for, you know, expecting, uh, Iowa to, to get much better on the offensive end. So, um, they still look like they're probably going to be pretty good on defense, but, um, yeah, offensively, you know, that, that's probably not the, the only, um, really ugly Iowa, uh, or you know, just Iowa game that, that we've <laughs> seen this year. You can't even call it an ugly Iowa game. That's just an Iowa game, right? That is, uh, they want to ugly it up, and they ugly it up real bad last week. So, um, you know, hopefully, it gets better on offense for them. They'll they'll get some starters, hopefully, returning at some point, or find some new starters because that ain't gonna cut it. Uh, you know, uh, a field goal and two safeties not going to win you many many games did week one but uh that is not going to sustain you throughout the uh entire season uh nick there were some week one injuries what were the ones that you think will be the the most impactful moving forward here yeah and and for anybody who is a patreon supporter you you probably know this if you have access to our fps team profiles um we do try to track injury updates throughout the week and you know on game day, especially, uh, have a, a long list that's alphabetized by team. Um, whenever, you know, I see a report on Twitter or, or what have you, or whenever I observe something, um, while watching, try to put it in there, even if it's, a uh, Oh, you know, you spent a, a few seconds, uh, down holding his knee, kind of limped off, came back in later. If it's a notable player, I'll, I'll still list it. Like, um, you know, I know B.J. Ojolari went down early in the uh, the game for LSU, uh, came back pretty quick, but did want to just make note. Um, 
in that injury updates section. But uh, specifically, I mean, another injury in that that game, LSU lost Mason Smith, uh, sadly, to a torn ACL, uh, celebrating a big play early, which which you absolutely hate to see. Anytime somebody gets hurt, hate to see it when it's, uh, you know, not actually in the course of a, a, a play, especially. But um, really impressive interior defensive linemen that, that they're going to miss, and I think did miss uh, during that game, uh, you know, as it went on. Um, Couple that were potentially impactful that that uh, might have an impact on uh, a game that we'll talk about today. BYU was without Gunnar Romney, uh, the wide receiver. It was a little um, – we didn't know exactly. Had heard some whispers that Puka Nakua might be out as well. He played, had a long touchdown, but um, injured his foot and sat out the, the rest of the game. So um, that BYU receiving core uh, is, you know, certainly not full strength. Uh, hopefully both of those guys will be able to get back um, and play. Uh, Kentucky, uh, the running back position, we'll talk about them a little later, but it's gotten thin. They were already without Christopher Rodriguez. Uh, their incoming transfer, Ramon Jefferson, um, who was expected to have a you know bigger role, uh, especially with Rodriguez gone. Um, he was injured and, and sounds like it's going to be out for a little bit. A um, couple of big, big name receivers, Josh Downs didn't play after he tweaked something in week zero against uh, FAMU. And it seems to be, you know, game time decision whether or not he'll be back. Jackson Smith and Jigba, All-American candidate, you know, arguably the best wide receiver in college football, uh, went out with a low body injury earlier against Ohio State. He did try to come back, but now it sounds like um, he might be out at least this upcoming week. Um, and then there were several quarterbacks that uh, suffered, you know, varying degrees of, of injury at Texas tech, Tyler Shuck um, suffered a, a shoulder injury. Sounds like it's going to keep him out for a little bit. Uh, Braxton Burmeister at San Diego state went out with a shoulder injury as well. Uh, Noah Vidral at Rutgers did not play due to injury. Wiley green at rice went down um, and is questionable. For this week, Brett Gabbert at Miami of Ohio had an upper body injury that is going to cost him a couple of weeks. Charlie Brewer at Liberty has a hand injury. Sounds like he's going to be out six to eight weeks uh, with that. Um, and, you know, so immediately we are seeing some impact injuries uh, across college football and, and certainly hope that uh, guys will be able to, you know, get back uh quickly but certainly something that that we'll have to you know take note of and and stay on top of xavier your thoughts on any of the injuries that uh happened in week one yeah no i mean the the, the one to gather is is the one that for me obviously is it has to be massive uh you you know you you lose a player of that caliber so early on in the year you saw what they were able to do in the first half against kentucky you know you saw that there was a potentiality there that they could almost upset a ranked opponent in week one and he started to find his footing, and that's massive. Uh, Burmeister is going to be huge as well. Now, anytime you lose a quarterback for any given time to start the year off, it's huge. Um, you know, I, but I have to turn to Mason Smith at LSU. He is lost. You could see it. it wasn't just a. It was an immediate drop off from their defense in the second half uh, when when he left that game. And I think that for LSU to be competent up front, him and him and Gay had to have a really good year. And obviously, Gay then gets one of the worst targeting penalties I've ever seen. Uh, 
you know, right after that. But, you know, it had to be a team effort. And LSU really struggled on both sides of the ball up front. And, and, you know, you really thought they had a couple of players and and Smith being, you know, the big one that could kind of keep that together for a year. Well, everything figured itself out. And you saw as soon as he left the field, uh, FSU was like, we got time. We're going to be able to find the availability for to give Jordan Travis as much time as he needs to. I just think that that's going to be, and this was something I pulled away from the LSU game as a whole. LSU just didn't look like your, your you know, your, your daddy's LSU. You know, they, they didn't have the talent in and around that defense to keep them afloat. And that was the scariest part about that game for them is that typically even when LSU had a terrible quarterback, their defense was littered with first round draft picks, second rounders. And, you know, the, the really the only real first rounder, at least up front for them, probably was Mason Smith. And so to, to lose him is going to be really troublesome. But at the end of the day, you got to be next man up. It's unfortunate uh, that we had so many injuries in week one. But, I mean, next man up kind of mentality. And, heck, you've got 11 games to, 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 figure, out, to figure that position out to an extent. Fraud watch was correct on LSU. We'll just say that. So excellent work week one, uh, Xavier, but, uh, let's dive in to these week two games and we start out. Oh man, I may have to tune you guys out for this preview here. (laughs) Yeah. It's uh, Bama at Texas. The line right now is Bama by 20, 62 and a half is the over in this game, Nick. And this opened at 17. So it has already, uh, you know, opened up a little bit in the wrong way if you're a Longhorns fan like I am. And after watching Texas and seeing the offensive line last week, I just don't know how we stand a chance against Alabama. It looks very young. Um, the defense seemed to get a little better, but still missing tackles. So I would say Texas is definitely moving in the right direction, but probably not ready for a game of this caliber yet. Uh, how do you see this game playing out, Nick? Well, our projections, uh, which we've talked, you know, in the preseason, we're pretty high on Texas. So uh, all three of our projection models, our, our official model uh, that incorporates, you know, all the, the work that we do, player ratings, coach ratings, uh, stats, you know, past team performance, all that good stuff. Um, has Alabama projected as uh, about a 12-point favorite. So even you know when this opened at 17, uh, we would have been on Texas to keep it within within that uh, point spread. But but you know uh, on the closer side of two touchdowns. So um, the talent only model, which we you know try to isolate recruiting ratings and and our roster strength ratings. Um, these teams aren't there's not a huge, huge gap just in terms of raw talent, at least the way that, that we calculate it. Um, that number is about four and a half. Uh, but in our stats only model, which only, you know, looks at the past team performance um, of the program, it's head coach and uh, both play callers. Um, that's a, a three year window that, that we're looking at. Uh, that has Alabama favored by a full two touchdowns. So even though all three models are on, you know, Texas to cover, um, there's there's a, a, a decent gap here. This doesn't seem like a game, even though it is going to be in Austin, at least uh, according to our projections, that Texas is is going to, you know, likely 
be able to pull off an upset. And some of the early comments that head coach Steve Sarkeesian made uh, kind of interesting, caught my eye, sort of, uh, I saw somebody, you know, almost refer to it uh, or, you know, say that he was basically saying that we're treating this like a JV jamboree, like, oh yeah, you know, it doesn't matter. We're just going to, we're going to try to get some guys some work and work on some things. We're, we're just getting ready for our, uh, you know, our, our season later, uh, talking about how the goal was to get to the Big 12 championship game and that this game against Alabama really doesn't uh, impact that. So it seemed like in some ways, or, you know, to some years that maybe he was already uh, just trying to downplay it a little bit if things don't, you know, turn out well. Uh, trying to to get out in front and say, oh, you know, it's it's not that big a deal. It's this the the you know this game is not that important. Um, but Alabama looked really really good in week one. I mean, fifty five to nothing against uh, Utah State, the defending Mountain West champs, um, who you know they haven't looked quite as good as as uh, they did last year. There certainly seems to be a little bit of a drop off, but uh, still, Alabama was just completely dominant in, in just about every phase. So um, it's going to be tough. It's going to be a very, very tough test for Texas, obviously. Um, and, you know, I I have noticed early on, especially, and, and this hasn't been new necessarily. I've tried to do some things to um, to kind of cure this, this bit of a problem, but um, our projections do struggle a little bit when – a point spread is, you know, three touchdowns or more. Um, we we haven't done great at actually, you know, being able to, to project those bigger numbers. We are on underdogs uh, a lot, um, especially when it, you know, gets into that three touchdown territory uh, or more. And so that makes me a little bit nervous because, you know, our, our projection models do have Alabama as a clear double digit favorite. Uh, and I, I wonder that, you know, if we are perhaps um, overestimating Texas a little bit, underestimating Alabama just a little bit. Um, so I, you know, I don't necessarily have a great read, even though uh, I like, uh, you know, a double digit home underdog. I, I like that Texas is uh, a very talented team, ranks in the top 10 in the country in our overall roster strength numbers, our offensive roster strength numbers, and their top 15 on defense. But um, like we you know, said earlier, it's difficult to take a lot away from week one. And though Texas did what it was supposed to do, you know, somewhat similarly to, to what I mentioned about uh, USC, you know, Texas did, did some similar things to ULM, took care of business, uh, won pretty easily. Um, it's still, you know, kind of tough to to really draw any major conclusions. So I'm not sure that this team has taken a huge step forward to the point where, you know, they will be a legitimate threat to Alabama to actually win this game. Um, but it wouldn't shock me if uh, this one is competitive, you know, at least for a little while, and then Alabama pulls away a little bit later. So um, numbers-wise, we're, we're pretty clearly – on Texas to cover, Alabama to win. Our final score prediction is 40 to 27. Uh, that would be an over. And, you know, that doesn't seem crazy wrong to me. Uh, 42 24, certainly possible. 
45-20 is certainly possible. But uh, I do think that, you know, I'm, 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 I want to see how competitive Texas is because this very well may be a special Alabama team. Uh, but I'm, I'm still, you know, hopeful and, and optimistic that we'll see Texas take a step forward and that we'll see some of that talent, um, you know, show up. And, and so uh, my hope is not just because it's what the numbers say, but my hope is that, that Texas keeps this thing close and, and we do see uh, some improvement. So, you know, that maybe a 35, 28, uh, that, that is within the realm of possibility as well. But, um, you know, two touchdowns, uh, and, you know, of course, obviously closer to three, uh, is certainly very possible as well. Cause Alabama is just probably that good. I regret to ask Xavier, how do you feel about this game, uh, for, uh, Texas and Alabama here? I'm not going to be nearly as nice as Nick. Let's just have it right. This is Quinn Ewers playing the, you know, the number one team in the country. Yes, he gets it at home, so I'll give him a little bit of a boost there because he's going to need that home cooking. If it was in Tuscaloosa, this game would get ugly fast. Um, That's next year. Score, yeah. Oh, oh. Well, Quinn will be in his second year, so hopefully he'll have some notches under his belt. Uh, but this game for me, I've got Bama winning this 44-24. to I don't think this is going to be a close ball game. I think when you look at Alabama, what they were able to do against Utah State is they showed you that the, that the offense has not taken a step back whatsoever from losing Jamison and John Metchie. Um, You can see that there is a rapport that Bryce Young has his, with his receivers early. That was the only worry for me. Uh, the one thing I will say about whether or not Texas can get Bijan going early, they may have an opportunity to maybe catch Alabama off guard uh, early in that game. If Texas can come out firing, then we've got a ball game. That's my only my, my only concern, though, is I think Bama's going to be up for this one. This is probably the biggest non-conference game that Bama's played in a couple of years. Um, I think I, 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 can, I can go on that limb. Um, and I think that for them going to Texas in that atmosphere, you know Texas, if not already sold out, will sell out that game. So it's going to be a raucous atmosphere. And you know that Bama's going to be up for this one. They're going to be sold up for this one. Not only Standing that. room only was $600 uh, like 10 minutes after they put the tickets on. And, and, and I, I, Scott's going to hate me for this, but. You know, Jimbo kind of put a, a target on Jimbo and Kirby kind of put a target on uh, on uh, Saban's back last year. It was the first time he's lost to his assistants in his entire career. Now he's got one in Sark this week, and he's going to be on a on a revenge tour. And it starts here in Texas. He gets an opportunity to, to to get that record back in the win column by beating one of his former assistants in Sark. And I think he's going to try to go for the juggling. I think he's going to try to re- relay a message to the rest of college football that last year was indeed, in fact, a rebuilding year. And he's gonna—he's not gonna throw any—you know—he's not gonna leave any punches out in this ball game. I think it gets ugly. I think Texas may hang around for the first quarter, but what I saw from Bryce Young in that game was a guy who's matured, who understands what he can do in the pocket and out. I mean, he looks faster this year too, which is scary to think of. He may even have grown an inch or two. He looks taller. I—I I, I just, you know, I just. Hey, listen. I think Bryce just is. is H H. Come on. Listen, I just think Bryce. I just think Bryce looked better like just his command of the offense and again yes it was against utah state but i've even seen but bryce from what i saw after the national championship game it looks like he had an axe to grind coming into this offseason and he just looks better he just does he, he did he looked great and, and looked i great. you know that, that uh, one sideline to score i was like he wouldn't have done that last year i'm sorry he just he looks faster this year and that's a scary remedy if a guy who already threw for almost 45 or 4500 yards plus 
is now also a running threat that can outrun your linebackers and your, you know, some of your safeties. I'm, I'm just saying, Scott, this is not going to be a great game. Yeah, uh, look, I don't care. I'm still gonna uh, wake up early for it. Uh, I'm I'm gonna see it. Uh, I was trying to get tickets, but like I said, they're very very expensive. Almost had it in with Bichon's family because I know his uncle a little bit, but just didn't have room for me. So uh, not gonna be able to make it. Plus, it's week one of the NFL. That's a whole thing for me. So, uh, but it, it it's gonna be a fun one. That's for sure. Hopefully, uh, my my thing is is how well can the Texas O line hold up against Will Anderson and company? And I don't and think Dallas very well. That, that's like to turn the corner. Like that, he looks. That's the thing for me. It is you know Quinn is gonna be uh he's gonna be dirty after this game and sore. So uh th- that's really the the biggest thing for me. And then can Texas put any pressure on Bryce Young? Because if you don't, he's gonna sit there and pick you apart. We know that. So. Um, those are the two things. It's the line on both sides uh, has to play well in this game for Texas to have a shot, and they got to come up with turnovers. It can't be close turnovers. Uh, you know, third down stops are nice, but they're not the same as turnovers. You got to get them to win a game like this. So uh, we'll see. The next game that we have on tap here: Tennessee at Pitt. Tennessee is currently a six and a half point favorite. Sixty-five and a half is the over in this one. Uh, Nick, after watching both these teams in Week One. I think this line makes sense. Where are we at on Tennessee at Pitt? Yeah, I was pretty impressed with Tennessee, and uh, they, you know, very much did the take care of business uh, against a clearly inferior opponent in, in Ball State. And I mean, what, what did they intercept the first play of the game and then score uh, almost immediately? Uh, very you know, difficult to, to take too much away, as we've said multiple times already today, and, and I'm sure will, uh, because I do think that Ball State has, uh, you know, fallen off a bit, um, especially from the, you know, two years ago when they were uh, conference champs. But, you know, Tennessee looked really good, looked, looked like they were moving fast, Hinton Hooker looked great. Um, they did some good things in the run game, and Pitt, uh, struggled a little bit and, and struggled to stop the run uh, against West Virginia. Gave up several big plays. They also, uh, unfortunately, you know, Deslin Alexander uh, went down with an injury. Not sure if that's going to keep him out for this game or not just yet, but um, it, it's, you know, quite possible. And, and Pitt, I, I think, will, um, you know, obviously still be able to play well defensively. I mean, that that front seven is still going to be very, very good and should give Tennessee uh, a test. If if they're, you know, Hooker's not going to be able to uh, hold on to the ball very long. He's going to have to uh, get rid of it quick because Baldonado, Kalaja Cansey, uh, Savossier Dennis, uh, those guys are, are, you know, going to uh, get after him, I, I think. But I was not you know overly impressed with uh the pit offense it, it was uh immediately apparent how much has changed from an offensive philosophy standpoint the move away from mark whipple to um you know the, the new offensive coordinator there uh keaton slovis looked okay at times didn't look uh you know like a like a new person or, or like his old you know, freshman self or, or anything like that. Seems like he'll be fine, not going to make 
hopefully too many mistakes did have a couple of questionable throws but um you know they leaned pretty heavily on the run game they uh obviously you know israel avaconda um a lot of people have liked since he's been there at Pitt. but rodney hammond got uh quite a bit of work as well um they were rotating you know some backs a couple of freshmen or excuse me uh transfer receivers looked good uh Kanata Mumfield, Bub Means, both of those guys played big role. Jared Wayne had a big uh catch and, and a you know a nice night. Would like to see tight end Gavin Bar- uh, Bartholomew get a little bit more involved, but uh I I do think that you know the Tennessee defense uh, is gonna you know, give Pitt a little bit of a, a an issue. I mean, we, we think that the this is kind of a strength versus strength game. Um, the Pitt defense is, is definitely going to be a, a good test for that fast-paced, high-octane Tennessee offense. Um, but the Tennessee defense has certainly been, you know, the, the unit where we've had some questions. And I think that uh, they certainly had a, a good night the other night. And we'll see how that matches up with a Pitt offense that, Showed some positive signs, but certainly didn't look anywhere near as explosive uh, to me, you know, than it was in in 2021 with uh, Kenny Pickett behind center. So um, this does, according to our numbers, look like a pretty even matchup. In fact, it's a virtual coin flip uh, in all three projection models. Our our, uh, official projected point spread has Tennessee favored by uh, two one hundredths of a point. The stats-only model has the exact same projection, so almost exactly even on both. And then the talent edge model, Pitt gets just the slightest um, of edges. Uh, well, maybe not the slightest. Not, it's a little bit bigger than the other two, I guess. But uh, quarter of a point, we have Pitt favored in the, the talent-only model. So um, should be a, a hotly contested game. It's going to be interesting to me to see which team sort of dictates how the game is played. Tennessee wants to play fast, wants to, um, you know, push the ball uh, up and down the field offensively. Pitt seems like they want to slow it down now and, you know, will lean on their defense. So I think if Pitt is able to sort of dictate the pace and the tempo of the game, I like our projections of Pitt's chances to, to, you know, keep this a one-score game, maybe even pull off uh, an upset at home. But if Tennessee is able to, um, you know, really sort of dictate that pace, I'm not sure Pitt's going to be able to to keep up. And this could be a, you know, 10-point, two-touchdown. It, it might get away from Pitt a little bit um, if Tennessee's able to, to play the game that, that it wants to play. So our final score projection is 32-32. <laughs> Um, which obviously can't happen, but uh, do expect Pitt to be competitive, do have it as a slight under. Uh, so I guess our projections think that Pitt's going to be dictating the pace at least a little bit. Um, but another, you know, home underdog, and, and we are on, you know, that that underdog. So um, I, I don't hate it, but um, like I said, if, if Tennessee plays the game it wants to play, it wouldn't surprise me if they – get a little breathing room in the fourth quarter and, and open up a, a double digit win. Xavier, what do you think about this one? Because uh, what we saw from Pitt last week was less than 
positive i felt you know yeah they won the backyard brawl and everything but uh you know i had a lot of money on that game so uh the hook got me so i was not impressed uh by pit a lot of missed tackles and stuff like that so i and i just think if you're a team that's whiffing on tackles early in the season you go up against an sec opponent with a good offense like tennessee you're going to get run through even at home so i see this as uh a tennessee win here but what do you say? Uh, I know there's no bigger hater of Tennessee than Xavier. So what do you think? I mean, I wouldn't say that. Uh, but I, I would say that Pitt's defense was very concerning last week. Um, I, to, to give up 31 points to a team, you know, and one of those being a pick six. So it wasn't, you know, all, you know, all bad for your defense. But I, I think to give up 31 points last week to West Virginia with a quarterback in a situation where I felt like, you know, as good as JT Daniels looked at times last week, he still looked fairly new to the offense because obviously he was. Uh, I, I think that he was kind of learning on the fly last week, um, you know, trying to make adjustments in mid-game for a guy who joined the roster pretty late. We saw the same thing kind of happen in the LSU game with Jane Daniels, how both of them kind of found confidence kind of as the game progressed, as they got to, you know, essentially learn their receivers. Uh, but I, I, the other thing for me is I'm just not 100% sure, you know, when I look at this game, I go, Tennessee should offensively have a lot of success against that pit secondary. And that's the biggest problem I have. You know, JT Daniels was slinging it around the yard when he wanted to. When he had time, he could throw it anywhere he wanted to. The other piece that was really concerning is Pitt in the interior was just bad. <laughs> like, they, they were just pretty terrible. Dante Stills had two TFLs, um, uh, a sack and a half as well, six total tackles. They're, they're, from interior wise, they just were not good at stopping any t- any pressure from the inside, and I just think, you know, and it's said if you're going to give up pressure anywhere, make the defensive, you know, make the defensive players go farthest around. So let the defensive end run that hula hoop, uh, for 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 instance. So I'm just concerned what am I what I'm going to get from Pitt this week in both trenches. Um, you know, on both sides of the ball because Pitt's defense wasn't nearly as good as I expected it to be. Uh, you know, uh, Pat Narduzzi needs to get that right. And then their offensive line, Keaton Slovis was having to make plays with his legs. Like, I didn't expect that coming into that ball game whatsoever. And I don't think anybody would have said that West Virginia's defense was going to have Keaton Slovis off of his spot all night, which is something that he they consistently did. So I think Tennessee should win this game pretty handedly. Uh, my biggest thing is, is Tennessee has to protect the football. Um, and that's where Hendon Hooker, and we talked about this last week or, or two weeks ago, if Hendon Hooker can – protect the football and take that next step in this offense under Heupel, then he'll be good. This is this is one of those games where you show that against a team that's going to probably uh, give a little bit more simulated pressures to get to the quarterback and do their job because JT Daniels did have time to throw. Um, and, and, you know, I'm expecting to see more of that from Pitt this week. This is where Hendon Hooker has to show that he knows the offense like the back of his hand now and can run it to perfection. And if he's able to, this is going to be an ugly game. The Tennessee should win this game by two the 14 to 17 points if they're able if, if Hinder Hooker can actually have the game that I expect him to. However, uh, go ahead. No, no, I, I was just gonna say we'll see, but but uh, you, uh however in there. No, no, I, however, I do think Pitt has you know one one of the things about Pitt is that they typically don't have two bad defensive performances back to back. And I, I don't I don't I Pat Narduzzi gets on and gets under those boys, gets into those boys in the week, and I expect them to be better defensively next week. Uh, or this week coming up, excuse me. So I, I won't call it a complete blowout. I think Pitt sticks around. 
Um, and that defense just looks better than what they did against West Virginia because the idea that he has back-to-back poor performances and they give up, you know, 30-plus points in back-to-back weeks just doesn't seem right. Um, so I got Tennessee winning, but I think Pitt shows a better performance defensively and hangs around a little bit longer. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, from I hope you're right, uh, but, but from what we saw from Pitt last week, I don't expect it. Hopefully you're right, and they don't have back-to-back poor performances. Uh, another great game that we have going on this week, Kentucky at Florida. Florida is a five-point favorite in the Swamp. 52-and-a-half is the spread on this game. So a little bit lower scoring, but Nick, you know, uh, Florida looks so good week one. Uh, I-, I thought this line was going to be a little bit bigger. I know there's still a question on Chris Rodriguez. I don't think he's going to play this game either. Uh, but... Um, what do we think of Florida? Because Anthony Richardson seemed to take his game to uh, another level this year. Obviously, the first game that that he started this year and um, just was unbelievably impressive. So if he is that good, Florida's going to be one of the best teams in the country, and I don't know that Kentucky can hang with them. Kentucky's very good team, though. They were the one that came in ranked, and Florida wasn't. So um, what do you think of this game? Uh, well, so our preseason projections, one of the things that I'm doing this year is is actually track um, where our preseason projection was, you know, week to week and, and include that in our, um, you know, basically our, our notes, our, our database of, of uh, projections. And Florida, even before the win over Utah, uh, we had Florida favorite, and and you know our projection right now is is Florida by four, um, so it's you know not not a very big uh, edge one way or the other, um, but we've been relatively high on Florida. I mean, obviously uh, our our numbers had them winning outright against Utah last week. So um, the fact that you know it's kind of interesting, Anthony Richardson is. Incredibly impressive. I, I, you call them impressive. I think I uh, use that same word. Um, and I, I just pulled up the box score again. It, it had been a couple of days since I saw it. I, I, you know, watching him, you say like, wow, four or five times. But going back and yeah, he ran for three touchdowns and over 100 yards, had a 45 yarder. Um, but you know, the passing numbers were good, not great. 17 or 24, 168 yards. Um, no touchdown. You know, it seemed it seemed more impressive watching. And then I look also at, um, you know, his individual player rating because he, he was a four-star guy, but not a, you know, high, high, uh, near five-star player. Hasn't actually played a ton, only you know, 190 plus snaps uh, last season. And this is only a second career start or, or, you know, against Utah was a second career start. And he just hasn't quite built up enough experience or, or production um, to be a highly rated player in our individual player ratings. He's, he's, you know, an 85, almost 86. And I think if we were actually, you know, playing, the video game and, and Anthony Richardson, uh, who a lot of people are talking about, you know, all the, the skill set uh, that he has and, and his ceiling is sky high, could be a first round draft pick. You know, he'd probably be a mid 90s uh, player if we were just doing based on the eye test. 
Um, so, you know, all that being said, I think that right now, at least compared to what Florida could be if Anthony Richardson actually, you know, fully does live up to his uh, potential, you know, if he, if he does start playing like one of the very best quarterbacks in the country, if the, you know, passing production comes along with the the rushing but also just the um you know keeps up those those highlight real plays and those wow moments you know then florida really could be a team that is going to be very very difficult to handle um still have a little bit of a question you know they they ran the ball pretty well overall i mean nearly 300 yards um richardson of course was a big chunk of that but montrell johnson uh, looked pretty good at times, actually ended up leading them uh, in touches out of the backfield. Naquan Wright, you know, less than four yards a carry, but um, seems like he's going to be in the mix. And then uh, maybe the most exciting, you know, running back of the group, Trevor Etienne had 64 yards on five carries. He, he looks like he's going to be uh, a fun one to watch. But, uh, you know, need some playmakers to step up in the receiving core. That had been a question coming into the year uh ricky persall looked you know good and healthy which that was a little bit of a question mark a few weeks ago uh there are some players who are highly rated coming into uh school that that haven't quite you know capitalized on that yet uh xavier henderson i think is one that we saw uh, you know a couple of decent he led the team in catches only 41 yards but um was out there and and you know seemed like uh, perhaps he's going to have an opportunity to just step up and become one of Richardson's uh, favorite targets. And, and it'll be, you know, if he's able to take that next step or Justin Shorter, the former five-star um, who's always just been so tantalizing, but hasn't quite turned that into, you know, production. There's a lot of ifs there, but if, if that group of players on offense sort of gels and comes together and then Richardson takes thing, you know, continues to, to raise his level of play, then Florida is going to be a very, very difficult team to beat. Kentucky already is a very difficult team to beat. They are, um, you know, one that they've got their own toolsy quarterback that's getting some NFL draft buzz. Will Levis look good the other night, the running game, just in its uh, the the depth at the running back position, like we mentioned with Rodriguez, I do believe is out. I know he wasn't listed on the depth chart. Everything I've heard um, leading up to we don't really know when he's coming back, right? Right. It sounds like two to four games, but at least two. Um, so they're going to be leaning on Cavassier Smoke and uh, Jahan McLean most likely. And, you know, they'll, they'll probably still be able to, to run the ball a little bit. But Kentucky has developed a, a pretty, um, in some cases, explosive passing attack. And, and uh, you know, Trayvon Robinson, or excuse me, Tavion Robinson, uh, who has taken over that Wandell Robinson spot as sort of the, the number one receiver, um, had – a huge game, 136 yards on six catches, 22 and a half yards per reception. Uh, the two true freshmen who are also starting had their moments as well. Dane Key 
had a touchdown catch, 53 yards. Uh, Barry on Brown had a touchdown on a return. So, you know, Kentucky did struggle to run the football against Miami of Ohio last week. Um, less than two yards to carry, only 50 yards total. But they are able to, you know, win through the air right now when that running game is not is not going well. So if they continue to struggle, if Florida, um, which does have, you know, some size and athleticism up front, uh, capable of, of, you know, they're certainly far more talented uh, as far as raw, you know, skills go than Miami of Ohio. So you would expect that, that they'll uh, have an opportunity to keep Kentucky in check running the football as well. But yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see because Kentucky is a team that um, traditionally plays, you know, pretty solid defense, uh, had three sacks the other day, um, not a ton of, of, you know, tackles for loss, negative plays overall, um, but that's something that they've traditionally been able to do, you know, pretty well. So uh, this is a, a relatively evenly matched game our projections think so our projections you know of course the home team gets a little bit of a boost but florida has um uh, the the more talented team and a talent edge that would have them cover this uh but kentucky has been the more consistent team they have done better at maximizing their potential maximizing the talent that they have on hand uh, than florida has you know florida looked great uh last week so far it's you know, uh, it's just one game. It's hard to tell if they're going to be able to play at that level consistently enough. It's going to be difficult to, to, you know, it seems like there's more in the tank even. So when I was sort of talking so high on Florida, I was thinking, you know, if this happens, if that happens, if this happens, uh, Florida could win by two touchdowns. You know, that that wouldn't shock me at all. Um, but Kentucky just sort of is is kind of a steady presence and, and um has a way of tripping up a team like Florida that doesn't, you know, play at a super high level all the time, struggles with consistency. Um, so that to me is, is, you know, the biggest unknown. How does a team under a new head coach that found immediate success, are they able to take that and build upon it? Or are they going to say, oh yeah, oh, we're, we're good again, no problem. And just sort of start to, you know, think that they can roll out the helmet and, and, uh, win and, and a team like Kentucky, you know, that's just not going to work. So uh, our numbers don't have a huge edge on this. We have Florida projected uh, by four. Um, Florida has a talent edge of five and a half. The stats only model still does have Florida, um, but Kentucky would be favored if this were a neutral field by half a point. So, you know, Florida by two in the, in the stats only model. So we're on Kentucky to cover. Um, there's a part of me that thinks, you know, the 29-25 final score projection is a little low on Florida. I, I do think that the potential is there for them to win this by 10 or, or 12 or 14. Uh, but then also, you know, a, a part of me really kind of likes that we're on Kentucky because they just find a way to win. They find a way to stay competitive even when the other team you know, probably should beat them or should beat them by, uh, you know, a touchdown or two scores. So um, I don't have a great read on this, but, you know, our projection is on Kentucky to cover, uh, but Florida to, to win a close one. 
They, you know, Kentucky ugly ups games, Xavier. It's a, it's a good thing to have specifically in the SEC. When you play some hard nosed defense, you have a good running game, yeah. uh, a good running quarterback like Will Levis as well. I just, I didn't think Florida was ready. I picked Utah in that game. Uh, they came out and they proved that they're ready. Uh, they played an yeah. excellent game. Uh, okay. All right. Well, we'll listen to yeah. it in a second. Um, uh, I thought they came out and played a great game against Utah. I thought Utah was going to, uh, I thought they were going to win, not handedly, but when, you know, going away in the fourth, like a 10 point win or something like that. Like they're up by a touchdown. They get a field goal at the end, something like that. Then Florida, you know, throws a pick and they sit on it. They right. didn't. They went down. They made the play when they had to, and they won that game. It was still very, very close. But Utah, I feel like Utah is better than Kentucky right right now. So uh, I feel like why would Florida have an issue with Kentucky? So uh, that's kind of my thought process. How do you feel in uh, this SEC matchup here? Yeah, I'm not nearly as high as you are on the way Florida played that game. I'll be completely honest with you. Uh, I think if their coach was a little bit more pragmatic in the red zone, Utah wins that ball game. Period. That's. I mean, listen, you don't. You, you don't. You go for it on downs down by one at the end of the second quarter, and then you decide, I'm going to throw it on the three-yard line. Did you not learn anything from the Seattle Seahawks? I guess not. So, I mean, listen, Utah should have won that game by 10 points. That's 10 points chalked off the board that I genuinely believe were there. On the flip side, I felt like Florida's offense was Anthony Richardson, Trevor Etienne, and, I mean, that offensive line still didn't impress me from from a pass pro situation. Anthony Richardson was running for his life. In, in some ways. Now, granted, also Anthony Richardson is one heck of a runner, so that's you know obviously a part to play in this. But once again, he only threw for a buck sixty-eight. Let's not act like the offense was over there humming. Uh, I, I do think that when when we look at this game, I still have Florida winning this ball game. But that's because I hated what I saw from Kentucky. They didn't, in my opinion. I thought Will Levitt. I thought like that offensive line was bad. Period. Just bad. Um, you know, Kentucky lost a ton of talent. Kentucky had one of the better offensive lines, especially PFF rated. Uh, over the last three years um, with Darian Kennard and company. And, and that offensive line, Miami of Ohio got home a ton. I, that's not something that you expected coming into this game. Uh, you did not expect Kentucky to look so bad in pass protection. Uh, that's what led to Will Evans' first pick was pressure. Uh, it almost led to a second pick in the second in the second quarter, uh, which was uh, tipped in the air and then caught by his own receiver. Like there was there was some times there where Kentucky's offensive line was just Holy shaky. And I'm honestly, the, the kick return for a touchdown changed the entire complexion of the ball game because it was 13-10 going to the, into the third quarter. Um, so I, I think that when, when you looked at Kentucky offensively, they just didn't hum the way I thought they would. I, I expected them to you know, be maybe 40-point winners. Or not 40-point winners, 40 points, 45 points, maybe even a 50-spot put on the board, especially with how hype Will Levis was coming into the year. Obviously, losing Chris Rodriguez is a huge miss. Uh, but really, like, I, I just wasn't impressed what I saw from from their offensive line in, in the game, um, especially in that first half. And I think Florida can get home. Uh, Brendan Cox looked better. Uh, Gervin Dexter, who might be a first round draft pick, looked excellent in stopping the run against uh, against Utah and getting home as well. Uh, we we raved about Utah having an ability to be physical up front. I thought Florida did an excellent job being just as physical, if not more. Uh, I, I think defensively was where Florida impressed me the most uh, because they kept Cam rising in the pocket when they had to. Uh, yes, he still almost ran for 100 yards, but I feel like a lot of that came on one or two plays rather than him just having a field day like he did against Oregon a couple of times last year. Um, I felt like Florida's receiving core is still rather shaky. They really needed Pearsall. I, I think that he, he was in one heck of a get because I think that right now it's really just him and Xavier Henderson. Um, 
because, you know, otherwise I think the receiving core is still ra rather shaky um, and isn't one of the more elite receiving cores in the, in the country, let alone the SEC. Uh, and so coming into this game, I expect Florida to win. I expect Florida to win because their defense and because of how dynamic Anthony Richardson is. Um, I'm not pulling too much from away from this Florida get from, from Utah as far as like Florida being a national championship contender or something. I've heard some crazy things on Twitter in the last couple of days. Uh, but I, I do think that when you look at what Kentucky was not able to do up front, and they could not keep Will Levis upright, no matter what quarter it was, they got home. And so when that being the case, that's not something I am, you know, you know, looking forward to for a team in, in Florida that really was able to make Cam Rising uncomfortable. They they made him uncomfortable when they needed to. Um, and I think they'll be able to make Will Levis uncomfortable uh, in, as well. And I think that that's where I look at this game and go, okay, cool. Florida should come out the winner. I understand that Kentucky – should probably still be ranked, and Florida may be ranked lower, maybe. Uh, but I, I do think that when we're talking about who I liked more, I mean, had, you know, Miami of Ohio had five sacks and five TFLs. That's not something you expect. They have more sacks and more TFLs than Kentucky. That's not something I expect. You know, when we talk about that game, I'm not I'm not ecstatic, ecstatic about that if I'm talking about this team. Uh, so I like I like Florida in this game. I like Florida to go into Kentucky and win this ball game. Uh, I do think the the absence of Chris Rodriguez will be huge for them. Um, I, I think you'll have to see a lot of Will Levis. I think you, this, you, this is going to be that one of those games where he has to throw it 45 times. Be perfectly honest with you for them to win this ball game, um, and I want to see if he can succeed in that in a situation where he has to do it do it that many times, and he's not able to you know do uh, a lot of the play action that Kentucky likes to go to. Uh, interesting, uh, because I I thought you know the the rankings just came down uh, as we're talking, and it was twenty versus an unranked opponent, but now it's twenty versus twelve, uh, Kentucky versus florida florida up to 12 12 that's 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 kind of ridiculous i'm just when gonna you be beat number seven when you beat number seven yeah. it's not that surprising that you move up into that mid-range i'm surprised they they were immediately put over kentucky and went from unranked to 12 that is right. surprising uh but they had to put them uh they had to put them over utah utah's 13 and they just beat utah so i think you know if you don't put them over utah who they just beat it's kind of hypocritical so they did have to go and drop utah to 21 um yeah, yes exactly so uh somehow texas didn't show up here i don't know why that is but uh we'll see. uh anyway uh the next game up here nick uh baylor uh is going to be on the road against byu uh three and a half byu is favored by at home 53 and a half is the over here how do you see this game playing out so i was pretty impressed with baylor i know they were playing an fcs opponent uh but they also, you know, took care of business. They were a team that uh, came in. Their uh, power ranking in our projections is far lower than their national ranking. Um, but, you know, Baylor played like, uh, I mean, 69 to 10 went over Albany, played like the top 10 team that, they are in, you know, in the AP poll or, or we're in the most recent one, at least. I don't know. I haven't, I haven't seen, Scott said it just came out. I haven't seen where they are right now, but um, uh, you know, BYU also, I thought uh, played quite well. I, our projections expected USF to keep things much closer and BYU left no doubt almost immediately. 
um, and put up 50 on the road uh, against a team that, you know, we've mentioned time and again is, is uh, at least on paper, pretty talented USF, but, you know, BYU played a, played a solid game all around. Uh, Jaron Hall, 261 yards passing. Um, not not huge as far as, you know, yards per attempt numbers, but over eight. Christopher Brooks looked good, 10 yards per carry, had a 52-yarder. Um, Puka Nakua mentioned he had the long touchdown, 75 yards. He actually had two rushing touchdowns uh, in the game, which was uh, a little bit of a surprise, but, um, you know, BYU certainly was able to do what it wanted on the ground. Uh, they were able to, to, you know, get a lot of guys some playing time and, and took, I mean, 38 to seven uh, at halftime, like I said, just, just left absolutely no doubt early on. So our, our projections, I mentioned are, are fairly low on Baylor. They're still 40th in our power rankings. Um, BYU is a top 25 team in our projections. The questions for BYU health-wise of Nakua and of Romney uh, that, you know, we currently do in our projection have them both uh, expected to play. Right now that means we have BYU favored by close to a touchdown, so a little over six and a half. If we were to remove both Nakua and uh, Romney from the starting lineup, it would fall. A little bit, but still do think that BYU is in a pretty good position here. Um, again, at least as far as the way we calculate things uh, to win this game. And Baylor is going to be a a real test for our numbers because there are reasons. You know, it's understandable to me why people think that that Baylor's not going to be um, not going to see a huge drop off. Right? They made a change at quarterback that they said, you know, Blake Shapin is uh, an improvement over Gary Bohannon. Our numbers, you know, had Bohannon as a a higher rated player individually. Um, And then, of course, the returning production piece of it, when you lose a guy like Bohannon who had started, uh, he was double-digit game starter last year for for the uh, conference champion uh, Baylor Bears. And so the way our numbers come together, it looked like Baylor took a little bit of a step back at the quarterback position. They also were hurt just as far as all those, uh, you know, passing yards and rushing yards and, and, you know, uh, touchdowns going out the door. They lost a lot of the receiving core. They lost uh, two NFL caliber running backs, um, you know, a a top 50 pick at receiver. Uh, They lost, a lot on defense and, and the returning productions on defense, returning production numbers on defense aren't quite as bad as they are on offense. Um, but there's still quite a bit of turnover, especially in the secondary. And so our projections, we've, we talked about this in the preview series, just don't, you know, give Baylor a whole lot of credit um, because there's just so much roster turnover. BYU on the other hand, though they don't recruit at an elite level, they have a talented roster and an experienced roster, top five in returning production overall, uh, top two on the defensive side of the ball. So uh, just from you know a lot of the offseason work and the, the numbers that sort of go into that piece of our projection, 
we just give BYU, I guess, a, a little bit more of the benefit of the doubt. So um, we think that they're, you know, at least the numbers shake out that they uh, are a better team. BYU is 18th right now in our current power rankings. And then also this game is in Provo where there is a bit of a home field advantage. So um, we could be wrong. You know, we could be dead wrong about Baylor. They might very well be, you know, a top 10, top 15 level team. And if they go out and prove it and, and you know, put up a big number that's going to uh, perform well in, in our team performance calculations once we fully uh, incorporate those for the 2022 season, then Baylor sooner or later will be, you know, up there in our power rankings. But because so much is preseason based and so much of it is, is based on, you know, roster construction and roster turnover, um, we just have BYU as, as a better team right now. So uh, BYU projected by a little less than a full touchdown, six and a half in our official model, um, nearly six and a half in the talent edge, and then almost double digits in the stats only model. Um, so BYU has been, you know, consistently a very, very good team over the last three years, top 15 level team. Baylor was bad in 2020, uh, played great last year. So they're 28th in that three year weighted projection. So BYU just gets a little bit of an edge there as well. But, uh, the final score prediction is 32 to 26. Um, that seems certainly, I think, reasonable. 30, 27 is, is absolutely possible. Um, Something a little lower scoring wouldn't shock me either. 27, 24 uh, in that range. I could certainly see this going as, even though we are technically on the over, I could see it playing out being a little bit uh, more lower scoring. So um, we have BYU, obviously, to, to win and to cover. Um, but I'm going to be most curious and, and most you know dialed in on Baylor to see now that they are you know facing a a quality opponent and a top 25 level opponent, uh, both in terms of our power rankings and in the you know national uh, polls. Um, are they truly you know going to continue to play at that top 10 level uh, even with so many new faces in some key positions uh, after last year's championship run? Uh, Xavier, what do you think about this game? I mean, looks like it's going to be one of those dirty, low-scoring games to me. <laughs> uh, you know that that you know, but you you could see where it gets the high flying. But you know, two receivers out for BYU does kind of uh, stink for them. So, how do you see this one playing out? Yeah, I got Baylor. I, well, what I saw in that game against uh, Albany, what I focused more so on what was was the play of the quarterback, and he just looks so comfortable uh, with the with the, uh, how he ran the offense. He also looked – the offense just looked so much more dynamic from a passing perspective. I mean, the amount of deep balls that they threw in this game, obviously you have to be open to throw them. But, you know, under under Bohannon, I just felt like there was more of a reliance on his athleticism in the intermediate game versus I felt like in this game they were like, all right, cool, we're, we're going to give you, you know, five-step drops and you're going to find guys. And I think that that's going to be a huge wrinkle in their offense. They also run, ran for 259 yards with a platoon swap at the running back position, which I thought was neat. Uh, and, and once again, they are just – they consistently just find ways to get pressure up the middle. Uh, Interior-wise, Baylor is just so good at finding ways to get pressure and uh, up the middle. And, and Dave Aranda does a really good job of doing that with just three guys. Like, and I'm, you know, I, I'm excited to see what they're able to do in Provo because it's not easy to go up there and play. It's definitely not easy to go up there and win. But if BYU is in fact missing its two 
top receivers, I just don't see that they're them keeping up with Baylor's offense. I think Baylor has just way too much talent that not only is on the that you know uh, talent in perspective, but also how much talent that they trust. For you to run six running backs, you know, and all of them finish with almost forty plus yards, that's you know that's just trust in what you have up front. So I, I love what Baylor has. I love the quarterback situation that they have up there. I, I think he's just going to get better with the year progressing, um, and, and as he gets better, I think they're just going to be one of those teams that come the end of the year. Is going to be right there at the top of the Big 12, competing for, a, you know, possibly competing for a college football playoff berth because, you know, their, their quarterback situation, I think, has the ability to make that next step. Um, I, I think offensively, they're going to get nothing but better from here on out. Um, I'm excited, once again, and, but this is one of those games that BYU, to their credit, earlier in the year, typically get that this is one of those games that, whether it be USC in the past, Tennessee in the past, they, they get one of those, you know, bigger wins against uh, a ranked opponent in the first two or three weeks, they always do. And maybe that ends up being the case here, but I just don't see it. Uh, I really don't. So I'm, I'm going to go Baylor here. Uh, I think Baylor wins by 10. I, 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 I like them. I really do. I, I like Baylor going into this year. Uh, I talked about it in the pre in, in the, uh, the preseason, quote unquote. Uh, and I think that that's going to be something to kind of hang my hat on. I think Baylor's just going to be a team that gets better as the year progresses, especially under a young quarterback who looks so comfortable with, you know, uh, coordinating the offense and, uh, and behind center. So interesting. All right. Well, let's go over the, there's a couple other games. I just want to throw out here and then anything else you want to mention? Cause we are, uh, running a little short on time here, but Nick, I mean, I don't understand why Texas tech is favored against Houston by two and a half points. That game confuses me. The, the line on that with the over on that one is 65 and a half. Uh, Arizona State's at Oklahoma State. That should be a good game. Oklahoma State is favored by 11. 54 and a half is the total on that one. USC at Stanford. USC only favored by nine is a little surprising to me. 65 is the overfields right. Uh, Mississippi State at Arizona. Mississippi State only favored by 10 and a half. 61 and a half. Arizona was impressive last week, but I don't know if they were that impressive. Uh, Washington State at Wisconsin. Uh, Wisconsin is a 17 point favorite. Uh, 47 is the over. That one actually feels right after watching uh, Washington State uh, last week. So, Nick, your thoughts on any of those games and anything else that is standing out uh, to you for this weekend? Uh, well, so this is an interesting section of, of games because I think it's uh, a pretty, you know, kind of similar to, to what we were just saying about Baylor. In, in some cases, it's going to be a uh, an instance of, you know, our projections have a different outlook on, the, you know, at least one of these particular teams compared to right now the the outside perception. So whether that's odds makers or pollsters or, or you know, fans, whatever sort of um, buzz might be building uh, for Texas Tech and Houston, uh, you know, first and foremost, I'm a little surprised by that as well. We actually do have Houston favored uh, to win this game outright in all three models. Um, so that's been a pretty good spot for us. It's one of two, uh, instances where we think the wrong team is favored. The other being Liberty against UAB. Um, that one surprised me a little bit. I like this one better Houston at Texas tech. Um, and Texas tech is, it's going to be tough to tell because they looked great last week, but then they lost their starting quarterback, Tyler Shuck, uh, to an injury. Donovan Smith, who came in, played great. Uh, there are some folks who you know think that Smith maybe should be the starter, uh, even when Shuck is healthy. There are some other folks who think that Baron Morton, uh, the the you know most talented 
uh, freshman that they've had there in a while, retro freshman now, um, maybe the the guy to beat or you know might be the guy by the end of the year. So those quarterback questions, to me, yeah, I understand why. Uh, you know, there's a, a little bit of why we're a little bit puzzled why Texas Tech is favored to win this game. Um, however, they looked very very good, and Houston certainly looked beatable. Um, but uh, our numbers, you know, kind of agree. They, they, they definitely agree with you on that one. Arizona State is a team that we're just a little bit higher on. The outside perception is so bad there. Um, something our numbers can't quite, you know, uh, put – we, we can't sort of uh, – Quantify. Try, exactly. Thank you. Uh, we, we struggle to put a number on will Arizona State quit? Well, you know, what's the – uh, is, is there some toxicity around the program that's going to seep out onto the field? They look decent in an FCS tune-up as well. We're also a little bit lower on Oklahoma state, I think than most. Um, so we do have Oklahoma state, you know, favored in this game and it is at home. Do you think they should win? Spencer Sanders looked spectacular, uh, the other night against central Michigan, but, you know, Arizona State, though depth is a major, major issue, um, we think that, at least as far as the projections go, I mean, the talent edge number has Oklahoma State favored by less than two points. That does have a two-and-a-half-point home field uh, adjustment. So that means that on a neutral field, we would say that Arizona State's actually the more talented team. Um, that, you know, I could understand somebody having an argument uh, to, to say that Oklahoma State's actually, you know, the, the more talented team. And I understand, you know, they, they look great the other day. Um, so we'll see. But we're on Arizona State to cover uh, in that all three models agree. And, you know, I don't have a great feel for it because there are those outside factors. USC and Stanford, somewhat similar. We do actually, our numbers really do like USC, have USC to cover uh, the nine in two of our three models, the one that's actually closer is the talent edge, which might surprise a little bit. Um, but Stanford is a team that, though they've been very inconsistent in the last couple of years, um, is capable of knocking off a USC. Um, does, you know, seemingly even in their bad years, have that, you know, win when you look back at it and think, man, how did they, how did they beat Oregon? You know, how did they beat USC? Um, so I think maybe a little bit of the history might be part of this. Um, but USC is a team that our numbers, you know, really, really have warmed up to somewhat surprisingly, uh, but just the pure talent is, is there. Uh, and then Arizona, I was, I was very impressed with Arizona. I thought they looked great. Um, our numbers are kind of all over the place, but our main model has them covering here. And then Washington State, you know, didn't look very good against Idaho, as we mentioned briefly. Wisconsin looks like the same old Wisconsin, put a, you know, shutout uh, against an FCS opponent. I don't think that we saw, you know, what Washington State truly can be. So I do think we'll bounce back. And I do struggle a little bit to, you know, think Wisconsin's going to, uh, beat another power five opponent by three scores. So I kind of like that our projection, you know, thinks that Washington state's going to keep it within two touchdowns across the board. Um, but, you know, wasn't super impressed with Washington state and Wisconsin could just 
you know, break off several long runs and, and get out of hand. So um, I think we'll learn a lot more, uh, especially yeah. about teams like Washington State, Arizona, USC, Arizona State, maybe a little bit of Houston, Texas Tech as well. Uh, so this is, this is a really um, – I'm glad that, that we got to talk a little bit about this chunk of games because I do think this time next week we'll have a little bit better of an idea about some of those teams. More solid opinions, that is for sure, uh, after seeing – because a lot of these teams are playing – or, you know, week, week one opponents. Some of them are playing really strong week one opponents. We can't really see, but, uh, Xavier, uh, who's on fraud watch this week. You got, um, you obviously had LSU, right? Uh, last week. So yeah. who else is going on fraud watch? Oh yeah. It's gotta be the guys that you're going to love this one, Scott. Texas A&M app state fraud watch. I mean, I Haynes like that you picked King, it, but I don't believe it at all. You cannot believe it all you want to. Haynes King will not be the starting quarterback for Texas A&M much longer. I'm just going to call it out. He's not – I told everybody coming into the year that the only reason why you're hype about him is because you didn't watch him last year because you couldn't because he was hurt. <laughs> I'm telling you right now, Max Johnson may be the quarterback of that team by week six. I'm just going to put that out there. I'm not saying that, you know, I, I'm not – you know, wishing that wish they had Max Johnson right now. I guarantee A lot. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, but Haynes King <laughs> is one of those guys where I just think the hype is way too big, and he has not shown me yet. Him and both Jackson Dart, I put Mississippi on fraud watch. I was wrong about it, but I was right about Jackson Dart. He did not look good either. Uh, so, you know, A&M, I think App State can go and beat A&M, to be perfectly honest with you. I wouldn't be surprised. Heck, App State can put, have anywhere near the offensive performance that they did last week. They can definitely keep up with them. Uh, but, yeah. A&M, A&M ain't letting up 40 points in a quarter. I'll just no, say okay, that. in a quarter. In a game, we'll see. Um, and then lastly, Wake Forest versus Vandy. I just think this is simply because Wake Forest doesn't have Sam Hartman. Uh, I think Wake Forest is susceptible to possibly, you know, to, to Vanderbilt covering this game. I, there's, I think some, Vanderbilt covering. there's some whispers yeah. out there. Oh, Hartman oh. might be coming hey, back. I hope Sam comes back this week. That'd be, that'd be amazing because the rest of the ACC look like garbage. So, I, you know, give me, a, give me a good narrative for the ACC coming into this next week. Uh, but I really like what Vanderbilt has done. They're 2-0 so far. I mean – in the event that Vanderbilt, you know, starts off the year three and one, even if they lose this game, would be I think they're over. So, you know, I, I would love to see Vandy give a, you know, give a, you know, a, you know, a competitive game with a ranked team in Wake Forest who looked okay. Obviously, you know, their quarterback with their quarterback situation is kind of a growing situation. So you can't really pull everything from that last ball game that they just had. But without Sam Hartman, if he does not play, and Nick may be alluding to something that we don't know, uh, I, I do think that Vandy has an opportunity to cover in that game to be honest. All right. Well, that is going to wrap it up for CFP Winning Edge this week. Good luck in all of your week two bets. No Thursday games this week because the NFL, so we don't even kick off until Friday. It feels like we're waiting too long for football now, but uh, remember, you can follow us all on Twitter at Bogman Sports for myself, at CFP Winning Edge for Nick, and at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E for Xavier, and we will see you guys next week. Take it easy, everybody. Thank you to our Patreon supporters for keeping our show ad-free and for funding our wide range of college football analytics projects. Thanks also to Blake Austin for our theme music. To learn more about CFB Winning Edge, visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge or follow us on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge.